0: Roger spins to his left.
1: Comes underneath, and the pass is incomplete, out of bounds. Now they say complete. The official, the second one, came in and overruled the other, Jared Cook, and with three seconds left, the Packers are going to have a chance to win it. That is unbelievable. 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 The first official came down the sideline and said incomplete. Looking at the play clock, down to three. Roger spins to his left, comes underneath, and the pass is incomplete, out of bounds. Now they say complete. The official, the second one came in and overruled the other. Jared Cook, and with three seconds left, the Packers are going to have a chance to win it. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. The first official came down the sideline and said incomplete. Oh! The official from behind the point.
2: All right, season seven. Finally, the sportscasters were here. Man, what a month that January has been. We left you before Christmas. But the season finale, season six finale, it was a great one. We had Joe Buck and Richard Deitch. Joe Buck, you just heard there on that call. And I've heard a lot of people give Joe hassle on that call. But you know, you got to understand that from his position, he's seeing an official wave it off. So I don't know. I'm going to give him a pass. He's my friend. Uh, still a decent, decent call there anyway. Uh, but, yeah, we plan on coming back just after Christmas and uh, New Year's. And um, uh, right before the national championship game, we did a, did a few interviews, one in here today. And Don and I just haven't been able to match up. Don is a huge announcement he'll make when he gets back, which is part of the reason I think that we haven't been able to match up. Uh, and I have started some different Crohn's treatments as well. And that canceled out a week because I was kind of uh, dealing with that. But we're back. at season seven, episode one. Uh, It's January 19th, or January 20th, 2016. It's Inauguration Day to the chagrin of many. Uh, To the enjoyment of some, and I guess to the indifference of others. But it's only me, it's only Steve. Don is not here. Uh, Don and I will return for Season 7, Episode 2 next week. Uh, At least it seems like we will. All signs point that way. Uh, And for now, for today... Sort of an abbreviated version of the show with two interviews. Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated will join us uh, every year on the premiere. We have the writer of the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year article on. Uh, LeBron James is the winner this year. And Lee will uh, join us to talk about that in one minute. Brian Curtis from The Ringer, editor-at-large at The Ringer, uh, will also join us. He was at that Cowboys and Packers game. Uh, we'll get a first-hand uh, kind of report on the game, talk about the ringer, where that's at in 2017 uh, compared to around the same time last year when we talked to Brian. And then I'll end the show with one last thing. I probably won't get into a big three things, uh, but I, instead I think I'll just lay everything out and then we'll get to Lee. Uh, I just want to remind everyone we're on SoundCloud now, and the address there is www.soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. So sort of the same as the website was, but with SoundCloud.com in front of it. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, Don is at sports And you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. A favor. If before Christmas I promised you a book and I forgot to send it, first, I'm sorry, and second, please let me know on Gmail or Twitter, and I will correct it. Things got crazy as they often can around Christmas time, and I blew it, and I'm sorry. Uh, another thing I want to mention real quickly before we get to Lee is that the Lonely End of the Rink podcast returns this week from Christmas break as well. And you can find that on SoundCloud.com slash Pod. And this week's guest is Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. We talk about the Sabres uh, and some other things uh, as well. The NHL, the Sabres, uh, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, Jack Eichel. Uh, so we've done that on this podcast a lot. Over the years, but this year, Mike is on the Lonely End of the Ring podcast. So, if you want to check that out. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Lee. We'll have the interview with Lee. We'll take a break after Lee. I'll come back. I'll update the book club, tell you where the book club's headed in 2017 quickly. Then, we'll do the interview with Brian Curtis, and then I'll be back for one last thing. And Don and I will return for season seven, episode two, next week. Alright, our next guest is from San Diego, California, a graduate of Vanderbilt, a senior writer at Sports Illustrated, and has been on this program more than anyone else, 21 times. A warm welcome to Lee Jenkins. What's going on, Lee?
3: Lee, how are you?
2: You know, it's pretty impressive that I can take a year off and still have 21 appearances on the show. I mean, we've only been doing it since (laughs) 2011. You know, it's not like there's been 30 years of shows. Who's the, close, who's the closest? Is it like uh, your colleague, John Wertheim. Wertheim. Who? Wertheim is the closest. Wertheim is next. Yeah, well, I think that's the company. How how se- close is he to me? 17-ish, I think. 17? 16 to 16? Okay, all right, 17. Eight, something like that, yeah. You know, but he's slowed down, too, now, now that he's, he's a, a boss and everything. You know, you got to... It gets a whole nother level of complication to get a hold of him. The last few. Years. He's got a
3: lot more to say than yeah. I do. Trust me. So he's he's a good guest. He's one of the
2: few guests who, uh, over the years, who we've had to stop and maybe take a thing or two out that he decided that uh, he would rather not make on the record. You know, so that's <laughs> <laughs> so it's always fun to have. Him. Well, those are the good. That's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's I'm like, I'm like, you sure we got to take this out? And it's like, all right. But, um,
3: yeah, 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 yeah.
2: It's good to have you back. We missed you. Um, I know a lot's been going on for you. You're doing a podcast now. Um, how do you enjoy podcasts? Not really. Not really. Not really. Not no.
3: <laughs> no, just yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started one. I don't think it went real well. Um, so I'm actually not. I'm just back to, uh, you know, to hacking my way through. What um, didn't you like about it? You, you know, hacking my stories. What didn't you? What's like? that? What didn't you like about doing it? You know, it's you not know that, that it? I didn't like it. It's not that I didn't like it. I don't think it was. I mean, I, I'm just being totally frank. I don't think it was very successful, and I'm not. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Right. Well, that hasn't stopped me. <laughs> it's a good. Uh, it was,
2: <laughs> yeah, pardon that, me. I said, well, that hasn't stopped me. You know, the lack of success. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so. I doubt that, but no, it's um. It's, it's easier being a guest than a host I think yeah. I learned and yeah, no. you know if it ever comes up again there are also you know there are a lot of good podcasts in the world and um you know I just don't know if it was kind of distinguishing itself and I'm probably a little bit more equipped maybe to distinguish myself on the writing side so it was a good it was a good learning experience and it was rather short-lived Well you wouldn't be the
2: first one who did one stopped came back a little bit later more seasoned and uh you know, the next thing you know hits it out of the park. I think Joe Piznanski has literally stopped and started his podcast 13 or 14 times. Really? Well, he's got a little bit
3: more of a following than I do. But, um, you know, I try to do mine, actually. I mean, I sort of like the approach. I try to do it with players and almost exclusively players. And so they were, you know, I interviewed guys kind of like I would interview them for one of my stories. I wasn't necessarily interviewing the top, top superstars, it was more of like a, a second tier. And, you know, I thought we had some good interviews. Um, but I think what I learned is people, I think people gravitate a little bit more toward just very con a very conversational style. And like, I don't know, I just, I didn't know that, um, I didn't really get the audience that maybe I'd hoped I would, or that the office hoped they would. (laughs) So they sent me back to my computer to, uh, to live in
0: isolation well you
2: also had something you also had something very very important and that's the crossover so i know you can tell me about the crossover
0: yeah the crossover
3: is essentially an umbrella for our nba coverage for si's nba coverage on the web it's a pretty it's a pretty broad umbrella it's a new site although it's not so different probably from the nba coverage we did before i think it's Maybe a little bit more feature based. It's the same. It's the same people, and we have a great staff with Ben Golliver, Rob Mahoney, Andrew Sharve Chris Ballard. Does a lot of features. Got our guy Rohan in there. Uh, Deontay producing with Matt Dollinger. Matt Dollinger's kind of the leader of the whole thing. And you know, I think it's been a really good home for all of our NBA content at SI, which you know, I'm really really proud of. I think we do. Um, I think we're we're right up there for you know, getting NBA stories that are, you know, across the board. Like we have the way we have Golliver breaking down deals and moves and games and Mahoney kind of does these great deep dives on individual players and teams. And Andrew Scharf just like one of the most funny writers, I think, in the business. So I think we have a good group and I'm
2: proud to be part of it. The crossover, actually, one of those things we had to once delete from a, uh, the John Wertheim interview. It wasn't quite public yet and he forgot. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trade secret. Yes, you forgot that it wasn't quite. I think it, we were off by like one day of the official announcement. Um, but, uh, you know, I think SI had a lot of success with Peter King with the Monday morning QB. Yeah. Um, and how that has kind of been an umbrella for the football coverage. But there's also separate football coverage occasionally on SI.com, correct? Yeah. Um,
3: that's right, yeah. Right. It's a different. It's its own deal. The crossover is more related to SI.com than MMQB is, I would say. Right, it's not quite as independent.
2: Do you, do you look at some of the things I, that MMQB has done with football and, and try to incorporate them, or do you just kind of do the same job and it just kind of ends up as part of the crossover?
3: I do, um, but they. I also look at what they do, and they do – I mean, they they just do an incredible job, I think, canvassing the whole sport. I mean, doing grassroots stuff, kind of offbeat features, getting inside with teams. Um, They're less sort of profile-based than maybe I am, and I think you know that may be something I need to work on. It also may be a result of just the way the leagues are. I mean, the NBA is such a star-driven league, and I think people really care about the individual, or at least that's my sense of it, that you have sort of these, seven, eight, nine, ten people in the NBA who are just so important. They kind of define these franchises. Whereas in the NFL it's a little more broad. You know, you have all these sort of different people who have a you know, somewhat of a a significant impact, the front offices and the the coaches. And that exists too with the NBA, but the stars are just um they just sort of hover over everything else. That when you can get the time with the stars and tell the story of the stars for us, that usually takes precedent.
2: Yeah, and it's not just the stars this year either. It seems like this league is about two teams, and then maybe four yeah. players who aren't on those teams. You know, like That's it, right, it's That's about like the Cavs and the Warriors, and then maybe we can talk about Westbrook a little bit, you know, or maybe <laughs> another guy here or there. Can you remember a time where the yeah, league has I, been? I so- keep saying this. I
3: feel like it's about two teams, and then it's about two players. And then you sort of have, which is Westbrook and Harden, and then right. you sort of have the intriguing young players below them, like the guy I wrote about this week, Giannis. Um, Porzingis would fall into that category, and Bede. You, know, you have kind of a cl- another class of like, you know, good young players. And listen, the Spurs could protest this. The Spurs are great, as always. Kawhi Leonard has been great. But Harden and Westbrook are just doing things that are statistically so astronomical, that they can't be ignored, even though. Don't really think anybody would say that their teams are title contenders.
2: Right. Yeah. It's like we are ignoring every other team, but these guys have been <laughs> so great that it's like, all right, well, let's not quite ignore them because they're right too good to ignore. It's it's strange, well, their whole team is made around like
3: their whole the whole franchise is built for those two guys to go ballistic every night, and they do. And they ballistic yeah, yeah. pretty <laughs> yeah. much every night, which is amazing. When you think about the burden they shoulder that they come through every night, but the flip side of that is, well, it's all geared toward them, the whole system, the whole style, everything about those two teams, everything revolves around those two individuals. So it's kind of fun to watch. It's sort of like Kobe in the mid-2000s or something where they have full license. Um, But they also have real systems, you know, real, especially Harden. You know, uh, Mike D'Antoni's system has has really unleashed him, unlocked him, and it's perfect for them. They're a perfect match. So that's why Harden is doing things that are, you know, pretty magnificent. And then Westbrook, of course, is just this, this force, this you know, force of personality, this ball of fury, um, and he's something to behold. Both those guys are something to behold. They're not necessarily going to win anything beyond competing for MVP. Um, Rockets have a better shot at it than the Thunder. In the end, it'll probably be Warriors-Cavs again.
2: Right. And you look at standings and obviously, you know, both teams, <laughs> both teams are what the cats are 26 and 7. I look before we call and 30 and 5 for the Warriors. And uh, of course, the Spurs, no matter what, are always, you know, right there, you know, just unbelievable what they do. So we know that if it were to be spoiled in the West, the showdown, the showdown were ever to be spoiled. The, the thing that this whole season is being built towards part three, right? The rubber match. We know if it was to be spoiled in the West, it'd be the Spurs. You got a candidate there. Is there even a name, a team you can throw out that could spoil it
3: in the East? Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that no one could spoil it. I mean, I don't think the Rockets could. I still think if the Clippers were healthy, the Clippers were off to a great start. They were really healthy. I actually, I guess I should hope everybody forgets this, but I actually picked the Clippers to win it all this year. Right. <laughs> and it looked pretty. It looked decent for yeah, the first few yeah, weeks of the season. Start. And the when the Clippers are healthy, I still think they pose a threat. But they're so rarely all oh healthy. So yeah, you need a Golden State injury or some kind of crisis, probably there to put anybody in a position to realistically challenge them. I don't know if the Spurs are going to have enough. Even if those Spurs have a good record, um, I still almost think one of the upstarts, like a Clippers or a rockets might even have a better shot but i, I suppose the spurs you know you never put anything past them in the east you know boston i think is probably a, a big move away from realistically challenging the Cavs, um, though they are an intriguing team i don't think toronto is going to have enough i mean to me the the team i just wrote about the bucks is actually i think the team with the most potential to do it this year seems early to me, but you know they have a real superstar now, and they have a second star with Jabari Parker. They'll get Chris Middleton back, You're probably around the All-Star break. So that's a team that I think will be dangerous in the East. Can they realistically beat the Cavs? Probably not. It's similar to the West, where there would have to be an injury in Cleveland um, or some kind of issue, probably, for there to be a team that realistically can knock them off. It's just so hard to like close your eyes and picture. The Bucks or the Raptors or even this year's Celtics in the finals.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you this. I was going to put it this way. You know, if you look back at NBA history, the the next great team always has to get dummied a few times in the playoffs by the current great team. You know, like the Bulls always had to run into those. Pilgrims. Yeah, it used to be that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or maybe the Bucks, if you had to pick one, are maybe they the team that. Could possibly be emerging in that way that two or three years down the road, they're they're the team ready to take take over for the Cavs or for the for the um, for the Warriors or would you even not even? Yeah, uh, I think they could. they could. I'm not
3: maybe not the Warriors. I think that's a little early. I think they're the kind of team that could emerge as the challenger to the Cavs in the East. I think Boston could also if they can ever turn those. And you know, they have a lot of draft picks, a lot of assets. <clears throat> if they could turn those into a star. Um, they're a team that could be that also for Cleveland, but right now you know it's always easier when you have one of those guys in house you know and milwaukee's got one of those guys under their roof already and potentially a second with a nice third you know a nice kind of tertiary um, star also with chris Middleton I <clears throat> call him a star, but he's definitely more than you know a regular player so yeah, I probably, would, I probably would peg Milwaukee. and I might be a little biased just because I was, I was right. just there. Just in the middle um, of it, yeah. And Philly, you know, Philly's the kind of the long-term play. But, you know, Philly's got – we haven't seen Ben Simmons yet. He's going to be great. They've got Embiid. He's been everything is advertised. They're going to have more picks to come. So, you know, Philly will get there. They will eventually validate everything that's happened, and they'll be right in the mix in these two. It's just obviously going to take a while. Trust the process.
2: Trust the process. All right. Uh, all right. I want to transition and talk about uh Sportsman of the Year and LeBron. We do this every year. And I'm pretty sure last year it was S. L. Price who wrote the story about Serena Williams. It was in this position. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, you know, Well, I you know, that's cool, Serena Williams won, but I don't think she was the best had the best season in her sport. And, you know, we made the cage the case uh, and I think he kind of agreed that maybe Djokovic uh, had a better season overall in the sport uh, that year and I don't think that Yeah, I mean I guess you could make a Curry versus LeBron case obviously but LeBron ends up beating them head to head in the championship the thing that kind of surprises me this year is that the Cubs didn't win because I went and looked back and saw that the Red Sox won in 2004 um, and it and I was reading uh, your LeBron story, and it's almost in a lot of ways like LeBron won because he ended the Stroud in Cleveland, you know, uh, and also being from Akron is a huge part. And you talk about the uh, the cruises he takes in that. But did you think about that when? you know, like, oh man, I might be writing a sports sportsman of the year this year with LeBron and then you're watching the Cubs win in game seven and like, well, well so much for that, it's gonna be the Cubs.
3: No, you know, they always prefer I mean look, I, I don't make decisions. So I, you right. know, I don't really yeah, think exactly what about. goes on in their yeah. head, but they always prefer to give it to one person. You know, the team I think is something they've done and co sports person of the year when when there's a um maybe in a lean year when it's sort of difficult to choose. I, I think that but it's not a team award. It's an individual award. Right. With, the Red um, Sox were hard. the last team to win and, it. You know, there were a lot of good options this year. So it wasn't like a year where they had to scrape and scratch um, the Cubs. Obviously it was, <clears throat> and I and, you know it's funny you mentioned best season. I don't think LeBron did have the best season. I mean, I think Curry had a way better regular season, Right. but to me it was actually, I don't know. Maybe I'm, bias to this too but I thought it was a pretty obvious choice honestly I mean you've never I just don't know and I wrote this in the story that there's ever been a more momentous championship performance I know in NBA history but even in sports history when you combine the team he was up against quality of opponent okay best record in NBA history the deficit nobody's ever come back from 3-1 down what he did in the finals statistically. Okay, 41 in Game 5, 41 in Game 6, triple-double in Game 7. What he did through the series, he led the series, he led both teams in every single category. And then you add into it the backdrop. Okay, the backdrop of the city hadn't had a champion in any sport in more than a half century. And then his own personal backdrop, being from there, leaving, coming back, putting basically this immense burden on his shoulders to get it done. Um, It was about those three days. So that those three days. You add in some other things. I mean, I think that the parts about his social responsibility and philanthropy and kind of the way he views his own place there, I think probably helps the case. Um, The Cubs were an incredible team story. But I don't know what individual could match anything close to what LeBron did. And, you know, the Cubs also... Acquired a role as Chapman, so it, it, it's. Right. Here are some flies in the right. ointment there. Mm, yeah, yeah.
2: Chapman and <clears throat> the Dodgers could have acquired
3: a role as Chapman, and season might have been different.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: They uh, had the deal done. I mean, basically. So
2: we talk. It's funny. I was thinking about. Off. We was thinking about the twenty-one apparent. Well, the twenty appearances before this, and we've kind of run the gamut with LeBron James in our conversations. You know, like this. Is This podcast and your first appearance started when he was sort of the villain of the NBA. You know, he was sort of in his heel cycle in Miami. And then, you know, like about appearance seven, we'd say, man, it's it's kind of starting to feel a shift with LeBron. You know, it's starting to feel this change of perception and it just kind of built and built and built. And then you drop the bomb that day in the summer about him going back to Cleveland and um. It's, it's been just this unbelievable kind of a wave that's went from, you know, him being in this position in Cleveland before, where he had maybe the most unbelievable conference uh, championship performance I can remember, getting them over Detroit and into the finals, to leaving there, to winning his championships in uh, Miami, to finally coming back to Cleveland and doing it there. It's really been an incredible, incredible wave of professional and personal uh, up and down and change
3: yeah, it's what makes him really fun to write about. Really interesting. nothing ever stays the same. I doubt it'll stay the same now. This has actually probably been kind of the most stable or the most at peace sort of his journey has been for a long time. Um, but you're right, there have been a tons of tons of ups and downs and and change and I mean the one kind of common thread, I guess, is that it's always more. You know, he's always kind. There's always sort of another thing, or he's always sort of raising the stakes for himself. It's like he won. He did this. You know, he achieved the thing that he'll be known for forever. Like I don't really know that there's anything else he can do. I don't know if there's anything bigger that he could do. But it was funny. I saw him like a month later after the championship, and and you know, and he started talking about like chasing Michael Jordan, and that, it was it was to me vintage LeBron because it was like. What's more? What can I kind of put on the plate now? You know, and that's something that I think makes him sort of a fascinating character study is the stakes always rise. And I think that's what, I don't know what else we'd want from our athletes. You know, because, I mean, to me, human nature would be, I just did this thing. I can take it easy now. The world's sort of off my back for a while. I kind of play in peace, but, you know, that's that's not the way he operates. And so I'm sure there will be, more to come, more ups, more downs. Losing the finals, winning other finals. That's kind of the way it goes for him. And really, he he drives so much of the NBA conversation. You know, so much of the league's larger storyline. Um, you know, he's thirty-two years old now. It's like I don't know how much longer we're going to have this sort of specimen to behold. Um, all the different things he does on the floor. It's 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 pretty remarkable. I mean, it's it, I think that it'll when i think about like everything i've gotten to cover and players i've gotten to watch like when i'm you know older and even retired i think he'll be right there at the top of the list and i think he will be for a lot of people cuz you know whether he was as good as jordan or not you know that's that's for people to debate i guess forever but for this generation he was as good as it got and he's
2: one of the first athletes that we've known about You say he's 32. I mean, we've probably known about him since he's 14. It's like him and Tiger Woods and Sidney Crosby all kind of came up around the same time. And now this is going to probably happen more and more with social media and the way we cover sports now. There will probably be more athletes like this. But he was one of the first ones where it was like, hey, there's this kid who's like 14 in Cleveland and he could probably play in the NBA right now. And it was still where it was more legend than truth or or dishonesty. It was more like, no, he couldn't play in the NBA now. But there's really no way to prove it. So you'd be like, no, he could. He could play right now. He's ready to go. I saw this grainy VHS tape of him in a gym, and he could go now. It's like we'll never have a guy quite like that again.
3: Well, yeah, he I mean, he delivered on it all. But it's more that he was the first one of sort of the information age, right? He came up as you know, ESPN was really exploding. Right, the very beginning. high school games were getting on TV. And, and, you know, he was definitely in the Twitter, probably the first player really in the Twitter crosshairs. Um, you know, so polarizing. You know, Michael, I don't think I had to deal with sort of the negative backlash that he did. And, you know, when you think about even the way the decision went down being on TV, that was very much kind of of the times. And, um, yeah, so he's, He's definitely emblematic of the era for good and for bad. And I don't think insulated himself from that stuff probably um, maybe as well as he would have wanted to early in his career. So I think a lot of that sort of touched him. And, you know, he's somebody who, you know, I'm sure Kobe, a personality like that would just wouldn't care and could kind of plow through it and use it as fuel. But I think at some points, especially early in Miami, it kind of got to LeBron in some ways, and maybe affected performance. And then obviously he came out the other end of it and was able to sort of grow, grow from it, and either become numb to it or or use it for his own benefits.
2: Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting too because we've known about him for so long, and when his career is over, he's still going to be so young, and we're going to know about where like his his career. Off of the court is going to be such a long one and such an interesting one. It can go so many different directions, you know. And and he'll be just as interesting, I think, post basketball as he was as a basketball player.
3: Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know. If Maybe not possibly, quite as but, interesting. I mean, that's he has a lot of options. He right. could, and he likes the business stuff a lot. He's been he's been really successful with a lot of in a lot of avenues with business, with Hollywood. Um, but this goes this way for a lot of guys. I think they. I think the appeal of that is great, and I think, it, but I think it can only take you so far. I think he's another person who will, I think he'll miss the game. I think he really loves the game. And I think it's hard to, just like I imagine that at some point Kobe will come back to the game, I think LeBron will come back to the game too. I think he'll go away from it probably and then come back to it. I just don't know that there's any way to replicate the juice these guys get from basketball or from their chosen sport, whatever sport it is in any other walk of life. I think it's they kind of can talk about it and it and I think that it's a way that they sort of something they use to comfort themselves. But when it comes down to it, I think they all probably come back to it again. I mean, look, LeBron has a ton of different interests and a ton of things going on, but at the end of the day, it's like he loves basketball. He loves competition and it's what you know, he always uses that Pat Riley quote, the main thing is the main thing. And to him, I think those other things, the politics, the activism, it's stuff he'll kinda of dip a toe into. Um but I think basketball's always been sort of what's got him through, the thing that's kind of got him going, and I don't see that changing anytime soon really. And I think he'll you know, I think if he wants to stay in this, here's a couple ways he could go. I mean there have been times in his career I've thought he would potentially retire early because of all of those options he has and because of how many miles minutes are on that body and what a big body it is. But also, recently, I've actually started to think he might play a long time because I think he could age really well. I mean, he's a great passer. He's not a guy who has to be the leading scorer. Um, He's a guy who could play out of the post and pick out out shooters along the three-point line. He already does that to some degree. I, I think looking forward, if he is someday the third option on the team, I don't think that would really bother him. I think he likes being part of a team. He likes playmaking, and he likes to win.
2: Well, he, he, he might not catch Jordan in championships, but he's already got more SI sports of the Years than him, 2-1. to one. And I'm trying, <laughs> yeah. to f- trying to find anyone else with two. There's got to be someone else. Tiger. 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 Are they the only two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. You would have thought Jordan would have had it more than one time. But it looks like Tiger might have stolen his in 96.
3: So. The first one for LeBron might have been, you know, I might have been a little early. It was only his first championship. Um, but there were, once you kind of dig into sort of everything with him, it's like his philanthropy sort of dwarfs most athletes or really, I mean, I, I don't know of any athlete who has sort of a, a more organized philanthropic effort than he has, you know, it's sort of, when you hear about all the golf celebrity golf tournaments and bowling outings. It kind of um, it kind of makes you realize that just how different what he does is. So, and look, it's not that he's necessarily in charge of it all. I mean, he has people, really good professional people, he hires to oversee it. But I think that played a role in that first year, um, and just the fact that he, you know, he finally broke through at that point when. They gave it to him the first time. It was 2012. Again, it may have been a little early. It was his first championship. But I think there was a fear back then. It was almost like, well, is this guy ever going to break through? Kind of like Jordan. Actually, Jordan won it after his first championship also. Yeah, 91. When you sort of have this kind of Jerry West specter, they're like, are they going to win it, or is this going to become sort of an annual occurrence where fell short again, fell short again. So that was when the... He got the first one, but th- this one to me seemed like more of a more of a lock than that one. But who knows? There were a lot of good. There were a lot of good candidates. All the Olympians, like Simone Biles and Katie Ledecky, Phelps. Even I guess yeah, you can make an argument for Phelps. And, I think
2: the Cubs is uh, the only real one. Cubs or LeBron, I think. In my opinion, yeah, the, yeah.
3: yeah, the Cubs obviously were a great team. Great team. All right,
2: you can find Lee at SI underscore Lee. James. More dominant than
3: the Cavs, clearly more dominant year year, year over year.
2: Right. It, well, just the story of the hundred years, the hundred and eight years, and just kind of the way it played out. But I have no problem with the LeBron this year. It's a great choice. It's a great article. Um okay. you. could can read it on the in the pages of SI, or uh, if you uh, maybe since it's a few weeks after, the best way might be digital on the SI app for iPad. super easy to still get the article there and download and read it like I did last night. Uh, again, Lee Jenkins is on Twitter. He's at SI underscore Lee Jenkins. Uh, and we talked about uh, the website, the crossover. And that's part of SI.com. Uh And, of course, uh, anything else you want to promote?
3: No. No, I'm good. I mean, I did a good one. I did a, um, a fun one this week about Giannis and just what a um, – you know, just what an unusual story he has. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but, you know, a guy who grew up. parents were undocumented immigrants, moved from Nigeria to Greece, lived in Athens, um, really impoverished family. Parents were lived in constant fear of deportation. And, you know, Giannis would be out roaming around the streets of the Acropolis selling video games and sunglasses and toys, you know, trying to make enough money to help ends meet. Didn't know anything about basketball. Didn't, you know, didn't even wasn't the kind of kid who like grew up wanting to be like Jordan or Kobe or anything like that. Didn't even really recognize I think his own physical gifts like his length and his, you know, what his height, what his hand size could do for him. Really started playing at 16 or 17. Poor wow. competition, and you know, Bucks go in there, they find him and draft him 15th overall. Other teams knew about him too, but maybe didn't have the uh the guts to take him and now you sit here three or four years later and he's a legitimate star. legitimate NBA star and really kind of revolutionizing the game in some ways and that we have a six eleven point guard. I mean Magic was six nine and there have been other bigs who I think could moonlight a point guard, Anthony Davis, Durant, but to see someone like this kind of doing it full time, you know, running the floor the way he does and Picking out shooters, passing, playmaking ability—it's um, just something that really we haven't seen before. Yeah, and that piece is actually
2: available right now on the crossover, uh, right there, pretty much right in the front. Uh, almost the first thing when you open up crossover on SI.com? And will be—it's uh, also a regional cover this week in the magazine. Lee, we can't take a year off uh, again. We missed you too much. So hopefully, we'll do it again <laughs> uh, real soon. Thanks a lot, yeah. I appreciate it, man. All right, talk to you soon. All right, I want to thank the great Lee Jenkins for being on the podcast today. 21 appearances for Lee Jenkins is unbelievable. And uh we hadn't had him in a long time. It's great to get him back on the show and to talk about LeBron and basketball and all that. And that podcast or that interview was recorded a couple weeks ago so if there's anything in there i can't remember that there was anything but if there's anything in there that maybe seems like uh it was out of date it's only because we did record that a couple weeks ago but i want to thank lee for being on the show Uh, as for the book club uh we finished 2017 or 16 with a bang um because as you know people put books out in the last quarter. So they can try to sell them for Christmas. And then the first quarter. It cools off a little bit. And I don't know where to go with the book club right now. I don't know that there's a lot out there. I'm super interested in. Chipper Jones has a book coming out. So that's the thing. Like the next wave of sports books. Kind of comes for baseball season. You know like Chipper Jones book. It doesn't come out till April. Uh, so Don and I will have to talk a little bit about where we're going to go with the book club. If there's any books you think we should recommend, that'd be good. Uh, maybe I'll look and see if we missed one uh, towards that last quarter. It's pretty full, uh, 2017. I still have copies of S.L. Price's book to give away. If you're interested, you can email the sportscasters at gmail.com, uh, his book on football and Aliquippa. And I think I might have still have one copy of Belichick and Brady by Michael Holly. Uh, If you're interested in that, I could send that out to the sportscasters at gmail.com. But the book club, it's in transition as books are at this time of year. Uh, So Don and I are going to have to put our heads together uh, and see what we're going to do until the baseball books come out. Because right now, if you go to barnesandnoble.com and you look at the upcoming books, there's not a lot. And if there is something, it's a paperback, usually, of a book that came out sometime last year. So... There's a bunch of Cubs stuff coming out, obviously. Cubs, Cubs, Cubs. But uh, we will see what we do next with the book club. I'm sure it will be a great 2017. It's weird. For the last few years, we've had friends of the show that we knew had books coming out, and we've been anticipating them. And I feel like for the first time in a while, I'm not necessarily anticipating anything. I mean, I know that Jeff Perlman's in the middle of writing a USFL book, uh, but I mean, he's just writing it right now, so that's still months and months away. Uh, so I don't know that there's anything necessarily that we're anticipating, which is a strange spot. But, all right, let's talk to Brian Curtis from TheRinger.com. I'm excited to bring Brian in. Uh, so let's take a break. It's a hideous Texas fight song. Usually I chirp him with an OU highlight, uh, but he's a big Cowboys fan and they had just lost. I didn't want to kick him while he was down. So we'll go right to uh, the Texas fight song. Ugh. Boy, All right, our next guest is from Fort Worth and is a graduate of the University of Texas. He's, of course, the editor-at-large at Ringer.com. He's making his seventh appearance today. A Warren sportscaster's welcome to Brian Curtis. What's going on, Brian?
1: Hey, I thought you got the order right there. Fort Worth, UT, editor-at-large The Ringer.
2: Yeah, I think I got Truly it. the, yeah, the, the trilogy, proper order. The trilogy of Curtis.
1: That's, that's, I think of myself in those terms,
2: right, yeah, of course. Uh, that that's the um Trump's America, as they would say, <laughs> in certain circles. Uh, where are we at here? Oh God, I felt your pain the other night in the article. I really did.
1: It was rough, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, by extension. you you've know been there.
2: The Saints lost the classic to the 49ers in two thousand and eleven. Mm. And it's one of those games, similar, where the lead kept going back and forth in the last minute. Um, And one of Drew Brees' best throws was he threw a seam pass to Jimmy Graham uh, in between the linebacker and the safety that Jimmy Graham caught and bullied his way 66 yards for a TD. And that's just a forgotten play because, unfortunately, it happened so quickly that... um, it gave Alex Smith, of all people, in the 49ers time to go back down and score a gun. And, and I remember sitting down after, and it's like, well, what do you do? I mean, what do you do? I mean, you lost a cl- – it's hard to be mad. It's not like – I don't know. It's just – it's not like uh, – it's not like you can say the team shit the bed or anything. You just lost a classic,
1: right? Right. But, yeah, and that's the weird part, right? I was, like, driving driving with home from the game with my uncle and with my Uncle Rod and um – um. We're just like a driving rainstorm, too, that we're going through, tornadoes. It was just crazy. And uh, my mom's texting me. and like, take cover. But I turned to him and I said, you know, someday we'll be able to appreciate that this was a classic game. Not right now. But someday we'll look back and say, you know what? We lost, but that was a great game. That was like a great NFL playoff game between two classic NFL teams. Right, it's like, and um, that doesn't do anything for us right now because we're still really pissed off.
2: Yeah, it takes a couple years, I think yeah at least
1: maybe a decade
2: yeah i you know it it might be easier the, the the hardest part about getting over that 49ers game has been the fumbles against the giants the following week cuz they didn't finish that season they i don't know if you remember the year but the packers were 15 and 1 and they lost to the giants on divisional weekend partly because i think they're a little rattled from uh their offensive coordinator's coach son had suicide that week Oh,
1: that's right, yeah.
2: You know, and Urban, I, think, right? yeah, I think it was just a really bad week for them, and they got upset. So, you know, whoever won that Saints and 49ers game was going to host a championship game, and then the 49ers were the winners, and then the punt returner fumbled a couple of bad punts, and the Giants snuck in. And uh, just them not finishing it has kind of been part of what's made it harder to let that game go because it's just annoying. Like, oh, man, you, you robbed us. Robbed us of a chance at Breeze and Brady and getting a shot at them and beating them in a big game. It made Breeze having two rings, and it's just like one play. You know, it's just like one play that they needed to make more that they couldn't on defense.
1: Right. <sighs> Frustrating. And, and One play. I know all about we'll make, need to make one play on defense. Absolutely. That sounds very familiar.
2: Didn't you think up until that point the Cowboys defense had played that drive so well too?
1: It's, Absolutely, it's like they weren't start, giving up cheap yards. More.
2: Yeah, they weren't giving up cheap yards. They they were getting pressure. They, you know, it wasn't a lot of three man fronts. I thought they played it perfectly, and then just on third down, he just got away. I guess I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's also I think in the way that Aaron Rodgers is in everybody's head, right? Because if you you know watching like people putting up the all twenty two film today on Twitter, like they were lined, they had a bunch of guys standing at the twenty yard line because they were terrified of hail mary. And instead, Rogers is thinking, no, 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 I'm just going to get 35 yards, right. get in position for the field goal, right? But they're thinking, we can't be the Giants from last week and let this guy throw the ball over our head, you know? And dude is just not only is he in a zone, I just think he's kind of blowing defensive coordinators' minds right now. And um, that was that. I mean, that's, that's about as pure an example as you can get.
2: So how, does, how do you think the loss helped you and Uncle Rod's healing? as opposed to a win. From Trump? Well, from I, the election? Yeah, because, I mean, you wrote in the piece here, I mean, I had to do, like, a double take. It's like, you, you know, you're laying it out, like, you go with your best buddy, and you're like, yeah, but we had to take a break from each other. It's like, oh, my yeah. God. What happened in this country? Like, what were we doing? And,
1: well, it's true. I mean, it's like, you know, one of those things where, you know, even even your family, you know, you're just like, you know, elections were pretty, emotions were pretty raw. I mean, it's really funny with the Cowboys, right, so... From Texas, Texas is a red state. Talk right. about Trump's America. That is Trump's America. Uh-huh. Um, and then the election happens, and we're on different sides of it. And uh, we was, you know, it was just like this. I mean, there was just nothing for like days, which is odd between the two of us, even though we live in different sides, of, different parts of the country. And um, and then the Cowboys beat the Steelers that Sunday, and it was a great late afternoon game. It was, you know, Fox game. It was Joe Buck, who you've had on the show, was. You know, an Aikman, and it was like they were playing NFL Films music. Remember, there were three touchdowns in the last two minutes.
0: Right, Cowboys yeah, pulled Elliot, it out. Elliot, Great
1: game. Yeah, maybe the best regular season game this season, certainly in the in the in the conversation. And yeah, and Elliott's run at the end for the for the winning score. And I remember we talked like right after that game, and it was just like, okay, we're back. You know, <laughs> like it's like the Cowboys, Cowboys, and football and sports more broadly brought us back together. And like it's not all right. Okay. Good. Yeah, we so can move on from here. You sports
2: know, sports is and good it was at that.
1: Never mentioned from that point on.
2: Yeah, sports is good at that. Now, was it a matter of just being on opposite sides, or were you guys particularly going at each other? Did you find it combative, or was it just the simple act of being on separate sides?
1: Just the separate sides. You know, we were always. I think we were always nice about it. What was also funny is he read that article uh from Sunday after I put it up, and the only thing he objected, he didn't object to any of the. Uh, any of the political stuff, he just objected to the fact that I said he was 60 years old in print. He's like, can you just, you know, kind of <laughs> fudge it a little bit? Not 10, 20 years off?
2: He wanted a couple years. Yeah, love. that was a,
1: that was his only objection.
2: Right. Oh, man. You know, I want to ask you about the stadium because it's an interesting place and in that it's a destination. So, yeah. I mean, no matter what, you're going to get road fans because it's like, oh, man, we can go see a playoff game and check out Jerry World, check two, two boxes off. What was it like this week, though, to... Did the Cowboys fans hold firm? Was it a pretty – hold their tickets, hold the line? Or was it still as big as the road crowds get? I'm always fascinated by Cowboys fans and crowds, and we've talked about your column idea that I still want to see happen and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like, what, what was it like on uh, on Sunday in terms of the stadium and the atmosphere?
1: It was funny. Like, I mean, almost every regular season game there, I'd say you have like a minimum – Maybe it was a little better down the stretches here since the Cowboys were so good, but you have a minimum of like 20 to 30% of the other fan base. And sometimes you have as much as 50%, especially if it's a fan base that really travels, like the Packers or the Steelers, right? The Bears, even. Um, This time I said it was like 95% Cowboy fans. It was a fantastic atmosphere in there. Wow. It reminded me of two years ago when they played the Lions in the first round. It was the same way, it was just loud noisy and when the Packers won the game, you could kind of hear since it was so quiet, you could kind of hear those people a little bit. At the end when Mason Crosby drills that field goal, but it was a really great atmosphere. And that place, you know, the thing is it's kind of that stadium is just too big.
0: <laughs> right.
1: There's no question about it. But, you know, when you get everybody locked in like they were for that game, man, and you have 93,000, I think was the attendance. I mean, it's it feels like college, you know, atmosphere. And I say that that's the highest compliment I can give, right? Feels like really like oh wow this is this is awesome you know this is like the Jerry Jones dream coming true. It only happens a couple times a year, if that. But <laughs> that's that's the dream of that place.
2: Have you been a little surprised that it seems like overall for a fan base that I think of as one that can be impatient, that there yes. seems to be a real optimistic look as they come out of the fog here of this sense of. Man, I, I never expect to be 13-3, and three, especially if I would have known Dak Prescott was going to be the quarterback. And, man, I knew Elliott was a talent, but I didn't know he was that kind of a talent. And Des Bryant is still young, and maybe we got this triplets thing set up like we had before, and the defense can just get better, and we're on the cusp of another run here. I feel like I'm getting that positive, optimistic spin on it a little bit more than I thought I would.
1: You're so right. I can't. You read my mind. I read the papers the next morning, and everybody was like, "Oh, you know, hey, they lost, but but Prescott and Zeke played really well. Great foundation here." And I was kind of like, "Wow, that was that's an optimistic spin." Because I'm of two minds. On the one hand, it's one of the few times I've been really positive about a, a Cowboys season. You know, coming. I mean, mean the by which I mean the next season after one ends. Like two years ago, I was kind of like, "Ah, eh, it was a fluke." I don't know if this going to happen again. This time I'm really positive about it, but I just don't think these opportunities come back around very much. You're 13-3. You have home field advantage. Um, you know, you win it when you can. And I think it's like the, the 90s Cowboys, which were forever citing because the team's never won anything since then. You know, in 1992, they were very much like this, right? They were a team that they were really young, and all of a sudden you were like, I'm not sure how good this team is. And then all of a sudden they won the Super Bowl. You're like oh wow they're really good they were the youngest team in the league that year, um, and they won the Super Bowl and I, this team I thought had that potential I wasn't expecting that necessarily so I kind of have two minds I mean I am optimistic but I also just think like gosh this was a it was a tough road to beat Aaron Rodgers and as we know now Matt Ryan and then one of Roethlisberger Brady and that's a that's a for a number one seed that's a really killer path to the Super Bowl but this was a really good team and it was there and they didn't do it.
0: Yeah,
2: and the Saints in 2009, they had Kurt Warner, Brett Favre, and Peyton Manning, which wasn't easy either, but I remember sitting down that day, um, the division round that day, and thinking, it can't all be, all that happened this year can't be for this. You know, like, it, it can't just be this, so I get that part of it too, like, and there would have been reason, I guess, for me that day to be still very optimistic about the future of the team, but it did very much feel, I mean, maybe the Saints is different because it's not a team with, you know, four trophies in the case already, but it did very feel to me like there was a lot of urgency in the sense that we have to cash this. Like, you can't go 13-0 and 0 and get the one seed as the Saints and not cash it. We have to cash it, no matter what right. that means, and... You know, luckily they did. And, and the first play the first play from scrimmage of that playoffs was like an 80-yard Tim Hightower touchdown run. And I remember just thinking like, oh, my God, are you kidding me?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I mean, I think it's like, it's funny with the young team, too. I mean, that Saints, that Saints team is interesting because they were, well, you wouldn't call them old. Right, they were right? like in
2: the middle-ish. They you were know, in the Middle yeah. You
1: know, they'd been around. They had, some, they'd had a, fail, a, playoff, a notable playoff failure, yeah. right?
2: Yep, 2006, they lost the NFC Championship game to uh, Chicago.
1: To the Bears, right? Yeah. I remember that. And it's like, this Cowboys team was weird because they were just really young, you know? And, like, if it had been Tony Romo in the quarterback, all the Cowboys failures are swirling around. Like, that's what the pregame is about, right? right. Can Tony Romo finally get over the hump? With Dak Prescott, it's like, ah, this, who knows what's going to happen? he could come out and play like a deer in the headlights he could come out and play great the answer was more the latter you know i think but it's just there was no history you know it was a if anything we were talking about how they were like michael irvin and emmett smith who was at the game by the way with tony dorset and and you know it was sort of that's like those were the comparisons it was weird it was a weird season it felt the whole season felt like found money you know i wasn't even that's why i wasn't that upset cuz i just it wasn't like i was expecting anything right and then and then they get to 13 and 3 and you know, won all these great games, and it was amazing.
2: Now, did the way that Tony Romo handled 2016, whatever way you perceive it, how did it change, if at all, what will be his legacy as a Cowboy to you,
1: personally? It only improved it. I thought that was amazing.
2: Yeah, so did that,
1: I. I mean, when in sports have we seen that? You know, like the statement, you Not know, the way Denver. he said it.
2: <laughs> we didn't see it in Denver, that's for sure.
1: We didn't see it <laughs> He right, <laughs> didn't mean, see it in Denver. No, he didn't. And it's just like it just never happens. And and you know, in a way, I don't expect athletes to do it. Right? I mean, I wouldn't even expect. If you told me Tony Romo was being told by Jason Garrett that he was being benched for some dude who was a fourth round pick, I wouldn't expect him to take it well. I mean, that doesn't. You know, he's a competitor. Like, I wouldn't. But you know, he did. He did take it well, and it was amazing. I think the other thing about the Romo thing is it's very much Tony Romo's nature, right? Peyton Manning wasn't, is never going to give a statement like that, you know? Um let's try trying to think of somebody else. Like, um, you know, Tom Brady, I don't think. maybe I mean, Brady's kind of an interesting case. But let's say Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning never gives a statement like that, right? Oh, yeah. Peyton Manning's a classy guy, but he never says, you know what, you won the job fair and square. I'm just going to do everything I can to support you. Tony's just got a little different mentality, right? And I'm not even just... Buying into all the things that have been said about him over the years, oh, he's not a great competitor. and you know? no, I don't believe that. But I just think he's got a little, he's wired a little differently than, than a lot of these alpha male quarterback, type A personality quarterbacks. And it allows him to give a statement like that and to step aside like that. Now, I think he'll be the quarterback of the Texans or the Broncos or somebody next year, but, you know, that's, to me, when I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, that's Tony. Has Absolutely. He,
2: has he created a little bit of an? Oh, I'll have another team, especially if it's in the AFC next year. Like if, like you said, if he's Houston or Buffalo or Denver or something like that, is it going to be Sundays where you're like, oh, I hope the tech, uh, the Cowboys win first, obviously, and then I'll be keeping an eye on Screen Six and
1: hoping Romo is <laughs> doing well. Or, Definitely. Yeah, he's. I mean, I really want him to or, do well. Yeah, I think i I'm, I'm if I'm being honest, and I know how you feel on this, but I've been guilty of rooting against. Guys, when they leave, I really rooted against Emmett Smith when he went to the Cardinals for just totally selfish reasons. It didn't make any sense. But, like, I remember when the Cowboys played the Cardinals, I was like, get this guy. We got we to drill this guy. Of course, then Tony Ro- Roy Williams did and knocked him out of the game. So I think he separated his shoulder. Um, but with Tony, I think I'll have – I don't think I'll feel that way. I think I'll have warm feelings.
2: Yeah, but Charles Bentley was a random one for me that I rooted hard against. <laughs>
1: You're the only person on earth rooting against Charles
2: Bentley. Yeah, well, he had some nasty comments I didn't appreciate. Uh, Oh, did he? Out the way out the door. Yeah, so he, I hope he enjoyed Cleveland. Uh, I I know he didn't, actually. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, I, it's always that guy in the league. Well, for me, for a long time now, it's been Peterson. You know, I've always had that guy where it's like, of course, the Saints are my number one priority, but I'm keeping an eye on this guy on Sunday, and it was always Peterson, because I loved him so much at OU, and then, I guess that got complicated, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't even... Like, so many things get right, complicated. Yeah I, don't, yeah, I don't even know, I just don't, luckily, it hasn't, His, his I guess That's... his peak relevance has kind of faded, I guess, since then, anyway. As a, you know, so... it's, to,
1: take, to take that part off the table, I feel that way, I feel, it purely as a football player, and is yeah. the most phenomenal college and high school player I've ever seen, I think, live, just as a pure athlete, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody like him. I mean, I, I feel, I feel, I feel bad if his career ends with a whimper like this. I really do.
2: Right, and, and he was one I heard about early. I'm not a big recruiting guy, but when it's OU in Texas for you know a guy that's number one in the nation and who everyone's saying is like going to be the best, you know, one of the, a guy who legitimately people thought, hey, he could play in the NFL at 18, like, people were saying that. You you find out about that guy early, and then you hear his story, and about his brother, and you know, and his dad, and he just became Damn really him. endearing, and he came into OU not starting, and still rushing for 100 yards, like, the first six weeks before Stoops would officially let him be the starter, was totally, you know, <laughs> totally diplomatic about it. He'd be like, He's oh, like, yeah, you know, Alan
1: Patrick, When the kids talk about Leonard Fournette, I go, I've seen this before, even better. Same right. as Adrian Peterson. And the difference you
2: know? between those two guys in legacy is gonna be that Adrian Peterson broke his collarbone in October and fought tooth and nail to play in that Boise State game. And Leonard Ferrett right. said, You know what? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just pointing out a difference between the two guys, you know? Totally. Uh, which is
1: totally which is totally fair.
2: Right. Adrian wanted to try to come back and break the OU uh, career rushing record in that game against uh, Boise State, and he just missed. And then I noticed this year they've kind of cal- he he wouldn't have been in anyway because they're starting to add in bull yardage or ask. they did something different. But um, yeah, his last run, you know, uh, Peterson's last run at OU is a 25-yard touchdown, and the first play of overtime against Boise State. What was Fernandez's last run? No one will ever remember. Who knows? Nothing important.
1: But. Yeah, I remember the Texas game in '04. We lost 12 to nothing, if I'm not mistaken, and he. He came out of that game because he got hurt. He was always getting hurt. But he had like 125 yards when he came out. We were like, oh, thank God, finally.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Get out of
1: here. Yeah. It was like, a it was like I don't know if it for the first half, but it was early. And then we were like, oh, jeez, this dude.
2: Yeah, he was something. And, you know, Samar J.P. Ryan, who set the record this year with just three years as well. Hey, good kid. But he got like 600 yards to the record in one game against Kansas. So, <laughs>
1: We need to have we need to have the record minus Kansas as a separate category.
2: Right, yeah. I think his Kansas yards yeah, push him over the top. Good kid though, another guy He's she's always hurt. Man, running back, tough way to make a living. Uh Definitely. the sports guests are here with Brian Curtis. We're kinda of talking about uh the Cowboys game and we gotta catch up before we let you go about Ringer. Um how is Ringer since we talked last? What is the uh how is editor at Larging going? <laughs> How do you feel about uh ringer today?
1: it's been fantastic you know um I feel that I've really just it was just it's it's kind of like one of the year the end of the year is kind of a time to kind of turn page and look back i sound like a I sound like an athlete in the loser's locker room here you know gotta turn the page gotta gotta be better next year, but looking back it was it was a really fun year. I never done anything quite like that seven months you know both with the election stuff and the uh and all the sports stuff and sports media stuff, and it was really fun. I don't know; I had an incredibly fun year.
2: Well, I was thrilled when the election ended and you started writing about sports again.
1: <laughs> I'm back, baby.
2: Yeah, that was a.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, 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 i had my. Uh, I think I've had my. I'll do some spot duty for a while, but I'm, 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 I'm back on the beat.
2: I have one question about the Ringer and politics, that I'm curious about why the decision to go so hard one way. Do you think that do you think that that was kind of a Trump kind of being such a deplorable to coin someone else's term made it an easier year to run that way like maybe if this site launches you know in the years of uh let's say the first Bush Gore or something that maybe the site stumbles upon a little bit more middle ground or do you just think that's just always no matter what was gonna be the editorial direction you know like I turned on. On election I remember just turning on just out of curiosity the ringers like live stream and there's literally like three guys crying on the thing
1: well those got I mean those guys are a little different because right, they were they literally were working for Obama you know I mean they were they were right less but I mean, writers that's clearly I mean it was clearly an adi-
2: editorial decision to go very hard to left
1: I just think if you look at what the trump if we did a we could do a whole study of Trump in the media in 2016 but if you look at it Across the media, it's just it was just he just he changed he everything. He changed everything, and I'm not, I'm not all saying to him because a lot of it's people's response to him. Mm. But I I just think everywhere is just a genuine response to Donald Trump, his politics, the way he treated the media, the way people came in with you know their own politics and were reacting to him, the way they were reacting to the end of Obama. I just think that was something that was just. A, I mean, I don't. I look at. I mean, we could take the ringer, but I also look at just like every. I look at every magazine, both political and not, that I read and, and they're all like they're all different, you know. It's all I've never seen anything like this. I mean I remember, you know, when Bush was running in two thousand and and covering that a little bit and two thousand four and all that stuff. I've just never seen anything remotely like this. So and, you think of K- You know, no, I'm really interested to see what it's like here in year one, you know? It just and again I'm not just talking about the room, I'm just talking about everything, just like whether we're going to be in a kind of constant, everything's going to feel like a constant state of crisis when you read articles, or if, if we're just going to flatten out and Donald Trump is going to be president, that's the reality, is going to sink into people and they're going to cover him, you know, I don't want to say a normal Republican or normal president, but just just sort of calm down a little bit. I just don't really know. I have no clue where this is going to go. So you, anyway. kind, of,
2: you kind of think that if Kasich was a nominee, it's probably a different site politically to some degree.
1: Yeah, I thought it was, oh, sure. I mean, yeah. I thought it was, I, but I think it's a different, like I said, I think it's a different media. I think it's really funny because when I was thinking of the election, I think I even wrote this in a memo to the ringer, I said it was going to be, I thought, I was thinking Hillary versus Jeb, right? Right, or Rubio yeah. Or yeah. Kasich, And I thought, this is going to be a really boring year. This is going to be kind of like 2000 Gore pre, pre-recount, right? Gore versus Bush. Right. Everybody's going to be saying, oh, I hate this election. When can this election be over? This is dull. This is... We've been here before. We have a Bush and a Clinton running for president. That's honestly what I thought. And I thought, I would have told you I'm going to be right about, I'm going to be interviewing Michael Irvin and Joe Buck, and I'm not going to be worrying about the election. (laughs) But that's all we got. And instead, we got something that just absolutely captivated everybody. And nobody, people were saying, oh, I want the election to be over. But really, they were really interested in the election. No, I
2: really wanted it to be over. And it did. But the problem is, it did.
1: <laughs> both it, can be true, right? You could both want to be over and be captivated by it, every moment of it. It didn't get
2: any better, though. Then, because then it shifted to like, to me, really annoying people protesting a fair democratic election, which I hated almost more than anything. Um, just because it just felt ugh, to me. Um, but now it's like, as we approach his like uh, inauguration. It's like, well, in the end, we got someone who's not really politically aligned with anyone, per se. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I lean right, but does he? I have no idea. I mean, he ran as a Republican, but that was just because that's the side that was open, right? I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, it? that's that's what makes it so fascinating, right? Right. Somebody was pointing out the other day that, like, most of his attacks on health care were from the left, from trade, were from the left, you know? Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't know. And I, now...
1: And I now you like try to forge policy, both with Republicans, you know, with Republicans, certainly, and maybe with some Democrats, depending on the issue and all that stuff. And it's just it's totally fascinating. I don't think anybody has. I mean, this is one of the few times in politics I've just ever seen nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen.
2: Right. And I'm just not sure even what I would want to happen. Like, you know, it's like, oh, maybe this Russia thing turns out to be his Watergate, you know, and it's like a, he doesn't even get through the first year or something. And it's like well right. I don't really know much about Pence I don't know that that's better or worse i I'm not sure I'm assuming better but I don't I don't know at least we'd know where he stands I guess
1: <laughs> um, it's so funny to be saying this right I right we yeah said this at the beginning of Bush or Clinton or a Ob- like we would have we'd have known how it would have gone but we would have some ideas like here's what they're interested in you know right. and here's what they'll try to do and that kind of stuff I just don't have that sense
2: and at I, all I think the worst thing is with just in general I, every one of us we've just been come become so, so whiny. I mean, everything is, you know, I don't know. We're, we're never going to get it back. We're not, I don't think we'll ever have a president again who can really bridge the gap between whatever the two sides are at this point, if it's even broken down by one and two still.
1: Yeah. I don't think – I think, you think know, people impossible. talked a lot about this election, about living in your own little media world, you know, where, you know, you were like a lot of people – lot People that don't read mainstream news anymore, you know, or they don't look at, they just, you know, watch their, they read their Facebook article of choice. They read whatever's passed around to them. They read emails. They read, you know, Twitter, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, just, I don't, I don't know that that's even, I don't know that that would be possible in the world we live in.
2: I mean, Obama's a good example because in my opinion, he's a pretty benign president. Like he, I mean, he spent so much time focusing on healthcare for so long. Um, like the only gripe I could find about him is I wasn't a huge fan of his foreign policy necessarily. But other than that, a very respectable guy, never embarrassed us, felt like someone you could sit down and have a beer with, just kind of cool, you know. For sure, you know, maybe didn't agree with every single thing, but never found to be too much of a heel. You know, always felt like we had a baby face in the office, What well, you know, <laughs> maybe not my favorite guy on the card, but still, you know. Uh,
1: that is like one of the great divides between Obama and Trump, isn't it? It's baby yeah, face it's... and heel, no matter what you think about them. Yeah, Trump one is very much a, One yeah. is very much a good guy. Yeah. One is real American, real American Hulk Hogan, and the other is definitely heel, Teddy Biassi, right? It's,
2: right, absolutely. and so maybe I was more of a warrior guy. If you want to call you know, like maybe you want to call Obama Hogan. Let's just go with that analogy for a second and say Obama okay. was the real American Hogan. Yeah, maybe I was more of a Warrior guy and ultimately WrestleMania Six. Now I was the opposite, but I'm doing it for this analogy. In terms sure. of I re- I don't want any wrestling people to think I was cheering for Warrior.
1: No, no. no any blowback, yeah.
2: Right. Uh, but um you know, at WrestleMania six I might have been cheering for Warrior, but at the end of the day i Clap for Hogan and everything he did during his reign because it was a respectable reign as champ. You know, like, so, and now, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's brash. It's a brash change because now it's like, but my point was, is that even with a relatively benign baby face president, it was still all this division, crazy Facebook, you can't even open it anymore, bullshit politics. And it's like I don't know if we can ever get back to whatever the opposite of that is, and that's yeah. People were noting
1: that you know Obama's approval ratings were like I think it was like fifty seven percent something like that, right, during the end of the election. And I was just I'm just thinking like I know why that is because he's not a politician anymore. People are worried about Hillary. They're not worried about our Trump. They're not worried right. about Obama anymore. You know, and it's as simple as that. Like if Obama was still you know, in control of the levers of power, he, it would just be right where it is, you know? I just don't believe, like you said, I don't believe he there's any way even somebody like him would not be politicized.
2: <sighs> what a bummer. Who knows yeah. what
1: uh, Brian. happen. The problems of the, the Dallas Cowboys, team. <laughs> small in comparison.
2: Brian is on Twitter, at Brian Curtis, and of course, TheRinger.com is available for all of your sports and entertainment and politic needs. Uh, They do do a great job um, covering everything, really. I mean, if you want to wake up on Wednesday and read about the election, you can do that. And if you want to read about Aaron Rodgers, you can do that. And one thing I will say I loved about the football coverage all year is there's a good difference in the styles and the interests of the football writers. Whether it be Mays or... Uh, Danny Kelly, is that his name? Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Kevin Clark, yeah. Yeah, and Clark. There was always their interests and their styles were different, and it really created a really good balance in covering the NFL. And even Bill, too, when he would chime in, whether it be via podcast uh, or whatever, and the way he looks at the league, just I think everything came together really good, and I thought it was a great first football season.
1: So, awesome. I really – Yeah. It's great to hear you said they are. They are all totally different – They're totally different creatures, but all very interesting in their way. Really are.
2: Yeah, and I thought it just made for a website that really had a good, interesting, big-picture look at the league. So, even though I didn't love the politics coverage, per se, um, just because there wasn't anything there for me, personally, uh, even though I'm harder and harder to decide what even is for me at this point, but... um, (laughs) That was that was a home run. So definitely, congratulations!
1: On awesome or touchdown. Anything that's else?
2: Yeah. Anything else you want to plug? I think that's I think that's all I got, man. Okay. I think just you know more to come. Number one goal for
1: 2017. Um, well, I already met Michael Irvin, so I think I'm pretty probably done. You know, bring <laughs> on 2018. Got to hang with Michael Irvin. Who, who cares about who cares about 2017?
2: Michael Irvin, most famous for being in attendance for Artie Lang's. Uh, Tirade on the Joe Buck show. <laughs> I
1: forgot about that. Actually, <laughs> he was like in wow. the
2: stands awkwardly, like to the side. He was in the stands. Yeah, he was like off to the side. They would like go to him.
1: Like, wow. When t- farv was on that, right? Night, that was right?
2: pre-recorded, I think.
1: And he was, and he was boring, right? Like that Terrible. was part of the reason Artie was, yeah. And then it was Artie, p- Artie,
2: Artie came out for a panel, and it was Joe, him, uh, the guy from Anchorman. That buck knows Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, right? And was John Ham there too, or was it someone else? There was another guy.
1: I don't think Cam was there.
2: Okay, so, so let's was, just say someone else. Oh, oh. it was
1: I, another SNL guy, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, I can picture him. Ah, so there was those guys there, sitting there, and then Irvin and someone else were like off to the side. <laughs> And I remember they like. Remember then the show signed off and they had like a little bit of an after thing, like as part of like AOL or something? Or. And, and Irvin made his white on white crime comment. Whoa. He said like, you know, like, oh, there's some white on white crime here tonight, like reference to <laughs> Buck versus Wait. Hardy.
1: I missed that part. Wow. Yeah. It was incredible. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> incredible power of television. Yes,
2: yes. See that HBO? I mean, the channel of The Wire and Sopranos. That'd be such babies about it. Buck and I, uh, Buck and I talked Buck. about that. Yeah, how they were just
1: such yeah, babies. Yeah, I think about he's it. finally. I think we finally turned the corner on Joe.
2: Oh, I love, I, the, I love Buck. He's, I love him. I, I
1: think the world is finally ready to forget Randy Moss mooting the crowd and and uh, Artie They They're they're looking at the full body of work. All right, buddy. Thank you very much for having me on. As Thank always. You. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye.
2: All right. I want to thank Brian Curtis from TheRinger.com. And I also want to thank Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this podcast, all of our podcasts from Season 6 and beyond, on our SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com sports casters. You can also find all our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts are found. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. And you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget this week's Lonely End of the Rink podcast features Buffalo news writer Mike Harrington. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash lonelyrinkpod. or for more information, hit up Twitter at lonelyrinkpod there as well. All right, one last thing for today as Paula uh, begins to get impatient here next to me. She was patiently laying and drinking a bottle, but now she seems like she wants to be a part of the podcast. So I got. her. Paul, you going to talk on the podcast, babes? You say hello to everyone? She's staring at the microphone saying, Dad, I, I don't talk. I only make whimpers and cries. Uh, one last thing for today. It feels good to be back, I guess. Uh, someone emailed. I was actually over Twitter, I think. I was talking to a listener who was like, oh, you know, I I thought the podcast might go away when you had the kid. And admittedly, since June, it's been a slower pace. But this is a passion project for Don and I. and It's a show that we both believe in very much and that we love doing. And uh, that as our families have grown, Don's had two kids since we started the podcast. I've had one, uh, whether it be my health, um, our stint at Football Nation, whatever it's been, uh, this podcast has always been the number one priority in the sense of podcasting and we want to do it in purpose i mean we we don't have any plans of stopping so i mean if we had ever given the impression that we might that's just not the case there's still people we want to interview i mean i still have to have nance on to talk about the Saints super bowl we definitely can't end before that gets to happen uh you know, we're friends, Joe Buck's a friend of the show now, you know, Sean McDonough was on this year, we had a great season six, we didn't have as many episodes as we wanted, uh, but I still felt like it was a great season, and then I'm looking forward to season seven, I'm I'm looking forward to the challenge of booking, Uh, I like booking this show, I like, I like trying to get people to come on and to talk to me, Uh, I get a kick out of it in a way that these huge sports writers and reporters and broadcasters will talk to me from this little room in my house in North Tonawanda and I guess it's just a reassurance in the sense that I know it took a little bit for season 7 to start Um, but we're here and we're not going anywhere and we're looking forward to having a great season Uh, Don will be back next week we're looking forward uh, to having Don back and uh, thanks to everyone who supported us and uh, here's to a great season 7
0: Watched him drop the ball on a crowd out in Times Square. Midnight took the fall for the faithful strangers there. Me, I'm hanging out with Johnny Walker once again. Catching up with old friends Who knew me way back when And we will raise a glass to bygone days When our lucky stars align